Okay, so today's daf is Mim Dalit in Yoma. We are on Mim Gimel Amud Bet. We are towards the bottom. I mean, the very, very last line in the last few words. That's what we got to yesterday, where it says, Tanu Rabbanan. The rabbis taught, We know this pasuk. This is a halacha uh, that there can't be anybody else in the Bakodish. Uh, I mean, it says, There can't be anybody else um, in, the, uh, in the oil Moed. At the time when the Kohen Gadol goes, lechaper b'kodesh, to atone in the Kodesh. So exactly what the parameters of this halacha are, um, is what's going to be discussed. And then what does the Dalit tell us? Uh, what does it try to add there? Oh, that, that, those words don't appear fine. So you might think that that, only mean, that means the entire courtyard. In other words, nobody's allowed to be in the entire Bet HaMikdash when the Kohen Gadol goes in. But Talmud Omar, Boel Moed, only the Oel Moed. Now, generally speaking, Oel Moed is referring specifically to the limited area, which is actually the roofed area of the Bet HaMikdash, not the open area. That's why it's uh, like the courtyard is in a different category, right? So that's why it, says, it only says Boel Moed. Right, that could be only in the desert. That that was where there was Owen Moed. There is no Owen Moed in Yerushalayim. We don't call it Owen Moed. It's Beit Hamikdash, so maybe it doesn't apply there. So it says no. That that's so Shiloh Beit Olamim Minayin. How do you know that even in Shiloh and Beit Olamim, referring to Jerusalem Minayin, how do you know that that halacha applies there too? Talmud Lomar Bakodesh. Any time the Kohen Gadol is going into the Kodesh, into the holy place, to do kapara, so then you're not allowed to be in the Owen Moed. Um, and Oil Moed, of course, morphs into whatever the uh, particular form of the uh, national sanctuary is at any given time, which would be at Shiloh, and then ultimately in Yerushalayim. Those are the two places. The reason why it always mentions that is because Shiloh had a halachic status that was similar to Yerushalayim because it was a semi-permanent uh, situation. Anyway, that we know only means when he's actually going into the when he's doing the... Uh, the service of the incense. How do we know that even when he when he's involved in the uh, sprinkling of the blood inside the Kodesh, that there's also such a rule? Talmud Lomar includes not only the Ketorot, but also the application of the blood. Now, we know that the Kohen Gadol applies the blood twice. He applies the blood in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, and he also applies blood in the Kodesh, because he applies in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, and then he comes into the, and he applies blood on the Parochet when he's standing in what would be called the Kodesh and not the Kodesh HaKodeshim. We would know only that when he goes in, this rule applies that nobody can be in the, in, in the Oel Moed. But, but, but how do we know? How do we know even when he's exiting, there shouldn't be anybody else inside? Talmud Lomar Ad Seto. Really, it's the Pasuk. I mean, the Pasuk is very clear. It says nobody should be there from the time he goes in to the time he goes out. But the, uh, you know, they're, they're showing that the nuances of the Pasuk. The point is, from the time the Kohen Gadol goes in, even after he's finished, till the time he exits, there shouldn't be anybody else in the Oil Moed. Now, he should atone for, the, for himself and for his family. <clears throat> what do you mean? There are reasons for. There are always reasons. There are reasons for everything. I mean, that would be like uh, if we go into the reasons for every mitzvah. It's like a uh, becomes a shiur of tamei mitzvot. But yeah, people say you know it has to do with the the idea of the like, similar to Har Sinai that Moshe Rabbeinu goes up and he has you know the highest level of kedusha, so nobody else is there because it's showing specialness of the uh, encounter between the Kohen Gadol and the, and the Shekhinah, similar to Moshe Rabbeinu and Har Sinai is one of the explanations that's given, but it's a, it's very. Uh, Involved. So let's, but just in terms of the halacha, this is the rule. So they, so he goes and he's, he atones for uh, himself, his family, and Kol Kali Yisrael. Um, and uh, the Grah takes out some of this, uh, some of this wording. Fine.
but it's it's not that uh, critical. So, um, <coughs> so kaparat uh, kodem the kaparat beito. His kaparat comes before the kaparat of his house. Kaparat that that I think is the maybe the grad takes that up because it's not actually true because it's simultaneous. Okay. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. But okay, uh, because that that vidui is for both of them because beito just means his <laughs> his wife. Um, now, that's true that the Kaparat follows a certain sequence that he does the Vidui for himself and his, and his wife and then for the Kohanim and then for everybody else so in that sense the Kaparat follows a certain order but the main point here that the Gemara is going to focus on is who is not allowed to be in what place during the time that the Kohen Gadol is going in to do the service now the Master said in the we said before that that's only true how do I know in the time of the placement of the blood that it's also true that nobody's allowed to be in there? Haktara means usually the, it means the burning of the ketorat, obviously, because there's no other burning that goes on inside the Hechal or inside the Kodesh Kodeshim. So my mashma, what is it saying? What kind of kapara is it that's equal for himself? And for his family, and for all the Kohanim, and for the entire Jewish people. In other words, the question is what the um, that the the ketoret is the universal kaparat, the kaparat that applies to everybody. Okay, so the uh, um, so the so Rashi explains the ilum matandamim, the the placement of the blood en shave bekulam shapar mechaper alav elkohanim vaseirod Yisrael. Because the, the blood applications represent different korbanot, and not every korban applies to everyone, because he has his own bull that is for the kohanim and for himself, and he has the seir, the, uh, the goat that applies only to the Jewish people and not the kohanim, it's an independent uh, kapara. So you have different, uh, di- different um, korbanot that are representing different individuals, but the ketoret is for everybody, and therefore the emphasis, that's why it's saying the assumption would be that it would only be for the ketoret, because the ketoret is that which is like we say, you know, it applies to everybody because it's one for everybody. So then uh, you might think that that's the only time. And then that's why it says, How do you know that even during the time of the application of the blood, it's also true. But why did it assume the ketoret would be a higher level than the application of the blood? Since both of them occur in the Kodesh Kodeshim, the answer is because those applications, there's not one application that's done for everybody. Fine. So now it says, ketoret and is it really true that the ketoret is even a source of kapara? In yes, the hatane Rabbi Chananya. We learn that the ketoret is actually mechaperet. It actually is a source of atonement. Shene emar, as it says, that's talking about um, in a, sp- a particular situation where there was a plague and the, uh, and, and, uh, uh, you know, in the aftermath of the uh, story of Korach, and Aaron goes and he places Ketoret, and, and the Ketoret is what's a source of atonement. But you see from that, the, the Ketoret is a source of atonement, and so too, on Yom Kippur, and Rabbi Shmuel's Yeshiva taught, Almak taught Mechaperet, what does Ketoret atone for? Aleshonara, mainly for Aleshonara, Yavodavashi Bachashai, Vichapel Masechashai, that it's a very private thing. He goes into the Kodesh Kodeshim to offer it, or even the Ketoret of the Hechal is semi private because it's done in an area that's enclosed, not in the uh, most enclosed as the Kodesh Kodeshim, but enclosed. Uh, and uh, and it's it, it's mechaper on something, which is also done secretly because most of the time people say Lashon Hara in secret, they don't say it aloud. Um, or they don't say it publicly. Tanan Hatam, we learned over there. 
they have to separate not only from the Hechal, the Torah says there shouldn't be anybody in oil moed, but they also have to separate from what's called Bena Olam Vela Mizbeach. Now we remember that when you come into the, uh, the Azara, you come into the courtyard of the Beit HaMikdash, you walk up to the Mizbeach. Then you walk past the Mizbeach. Then there's a space between the Mizbeach and the Ulam and Hechal, which is the roofed building that's in there, right? So the, everything else is under the open the open sky. So when you walk past the Mizbeach, you're in an area called Bena Ulam Vela Mizbeach, between the Ulam and the Mizbeach. Now, when you go into that building, you know, the structure, so there's an area called the Ulam, the antechamber, which itself doesn't have any specific mitzvot that go on there, and then you go a little bit further in, you're in the Hechal, and then you go a little bit further in, and you're in the Kodesh HaKodeshim. Right, so there are three sections, even to the roofed part, there are three sections outside, which is, you have the regular Azara. The area and the area of the, where the Kohanim walk, it then includes the Mizbeach. And then you have past that, which is called Bein Ulam Bela Mizbeach. There's kind of like three sections there. And then inside the building, there's also three sections, Ulam, Hechal, and Kodesh Kodashim. And the Gemara is going to eventually discuss what the, what that's, what the status is of these in-between areas, like Bein Ulam Bela Mizbeach and the Ulam itself, what exactly the status is. But we'll get to that. Right now it's saying that area that's outside, but Bein Ulam Vela Mizbeach, it's between the courtyard, it's between the Mizbeach and the uh, roofed area. Okay, that section, you have to also separate from that at the time of the Haktarah, at the time of the Ketorot is being brought. Amar Lazar, Lo that is only true at the time that the, of the Ketorot in the Hechal, meaning the regular daily Ketorot that's brought in the Kodesh. Now, there's a very, very simple reason why this might be true. In other words, according to, uh, if you look at it this way, that basically whatever is the next, you know, the immediately adjacent area has to be cleared during the time that the Ketorot is being brought. So if the Ketorot is being brought in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, so then the immediately adjacent area is the, is the Hechal. So that you have to clear that, right? The Kodesh, we call it the Kodesh or the Hechal. Right? If, the, if you're talking about the Ketorot of the Hechal, so the immediately adjacent area to that is going to be the area outside, which is Bein HaOlam Vena Mizbeach. Okay? We're assuming now that the Ulam itself is really part of the Kodesh. Right. Now, right? So, so, what, so once you're outside the building, the next adjacent area. So what, the, what he's saying is that for the Kodesh HaKodeshim, in other words, for the Haktar of the Kodesh HaKodeshim on, on, Yom on Yom Kippur, so they only have to clear out the Hechal. They don't have to clear out the space outside between the Mizbeach and the Ulam. Even though you'd say, well, it's so super holy, it should require clearing out of the whole place. No. But the the, uh, the bringing of the Ketorot that is brought in the Kodesh, since it's closer to the outside, so they have to also clear out the space that is between the Mizbeach and the Kodesh, okay? There's extra. Nobody can stand there, that's all. Oh. Empty, that's all. Nobody's al- that's what we're talking about. We're talking about nobody, evacuate. Nobody's allowed to be in the, ko- in the Kodesh, in the oil moed, when the Kohen Gadol goes into the, to do the, 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 Stuff in the Kodesh Kodeshim. Oh, so no That's what the Torah says. It the Torah says that, right? So we right. So we we generalize from that also to the Ketorot of every day. That there's also Alachan, not just on Yom Kippur, but every day. That whatever the immediately adjacent area is cannot have anybody in it when the Ketorot is being brought. So even on a regular day when the Kohen goes in to do the Ketorot in the Kodesh, not in the Kodesh Kodeshim, in the Kodesh, nobody's allowed to be in there and nobody's allowed to be in the next adjacent area, which is right outside between the Mizbech and the Aula. That's... Well, cameras should be okay. What? You have cameras over this person, area. person we're talking about. Right. right? Problem, you could discuss that with the uh, securities at the, at the Mikdash in the future. I have no idea, but I but seemingly... It doesn't have to do with, vi- with viewing. I mean... It, 
It could be, but uh, it, it seems like it has more to do with uh, a presence, like oh, showing yeah, special. When the Kohen starts, starts from that area, from Ulam. Yeah, but that's it's okay from somebody assisting him. Right, the only time it only applies when he goes into the, do the ketorah. It says oh, in the Torah, oh, it says v'chol adam lo yavon moed bevoal lechaper bakodesh al tetos. It's yeah, it's it's only during that time. Mativ ravada baravavam re la kedi. Rav Adabarav raised an objection. Some say it was Kedi. Kedi usually means like an anonymous person, or was, it was stated anonymously. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Keshem Sheboshim Ben Avulam Bel Mazbech Vashat Akhtara, Kach Boshim Vashat Matan Parkoin Mashiach, Uparelem Dabar Shel Tibur, Useravodat Kochavim. Not only do they have to separate from that outside area, meaning right outside of the Ulam, between the Mizbeach and the Kodesh, not only do they have to, we could call it the threshold, so to speak, you know, like the, the area right outside the. Uh, uh, the the actual roofed part of the Beit Hamikdash between the Ulam and the Mizbech. Not only do they have to separate from there, meaning people have to evacuate from there during the time of the burning of the Ketoret, but also when they're placing the when the Kohen is placing the blood of the communal sin offerings, because we learned in Masechet Torayot that if the Beddin gives a ruling that is a mistake and everybody follows it, so they have to bring us if it's of a certain severity, so there's all details, but the point is it's called Parelim Davar Tzotzibur, when the Beddin makes a mistake and everybody follows it, and it's a mistake about a severe prohibition, so then the, the community brings a korban, and the blood is applied to the parochet, not to the Kodesh HaKodeshim, but to the parochet, and the same is true if they violate idolatry, that there's a, uh, not only a par, but also sa'ir, there's the, uh, there's the goat that's brought, so you have two uh, offerings in that case, but the point is that it's done in the Kodesh, which is unusual, because normally you don't have any korban going into the Kodesh, right? And also the par Kohen Mashiach, if the Kohen Gadol makes a ruling that is erroneous, and he himself follows it, so then he brings what a uh, special uh, a bull also, right? So, it's only the Kohen Gadol. No, it's just the Kohen Gadol. Yeah, yeah. So the, so the, um, so all of those cases, what makes them unique is that there's a blood service in the Kodesh. Normally there's no blood service going on in the Kodesh. All blood, right, except for Yom Kippur. So that during the rest of the time, there's never any blood service in the Kodesh. Only Yom Kippur, and uh, and when you have one of these special chataot that is called chataot pnimiot, that's it, right? So it's saying even during that time when the blood is being put on the parochet or towards the parochet, really, they try not to splash it, you know. But even during that time, uh, nobody's allowed to be ben haulam velamizbeach because something special is going on in the echal. That's just, that's um, that's what he's trying to say. So what's the distinction between the echal? And that area between the Ulam and the Mizbeach, that outside area immediately outside the Oel Moed, what's the difference? That when it comes to the Echal, you have to be out of there, whether it's the time of the burning or not the time of the burning. That, uh, but when it comes to the area, you only have to be out of that area during the burning. So it's the Gemara. Uh, so the Gemara is assuming that it means during the burning, even of the Kodesh Kodeshim on Yom Kippur, meaning that uh, oh, it's saying that what makes the Hechal special, right, is that that uh, that the difference is that the Hechal you can't be in there even when he's not doing the burning, meaning even when he's applying the blood or whatever else he's doing, in the, you're, you're not allowed to be in there in the Kodesh when he's in the Kodesh Kodeshim, but. Here, the outside area 
true you don't ha- that you don't have to evacuate it when he's placing blood on the in the Kodesh Kodeshim. But during the Haktarah, it sounds like you do have to, right? That's it's saying that even that you don't, during Yom Kippur, if there's any burning of any incense going on in the Kodesh or the Kodesh Kodeshim, it has to be evacuated. So now Gemara says, So the implication is that during the time of even on Yom Kippur, when he's in the Kodesh Kodeshim, when he's burning the Ketorot, it's not true that that immediate outside area doesn't have to be evacuated. It does. It's saying that what doesn't have to be done is that you don't have to evacuate that area when he's placing the blood inside. But when he's doing the kitorot, you do have to evacuate. So not like what we said before, that, that immediately before this, that we saw that, uh, that uh, Rabbi Elazar said that you don't have to evacuate that outside area, right outside the Hechal, at the time when he's going into the Kodesh HaKodeshim to do the uh, burning of the kitorot. It's not true. The burning of the kitorot time, you do have to evacuate. So it says, no, my love is the So it says, isn't that talking about when he goes in the Kodesh HaKodeshim? And yet it's saying that you can't even be in the outside area. So it's, nope, nope, that's not talking about that. It's talking about where he burns the incense in the Hechal. So, so, in other words, during the burning of the incense in the Hechal, he's not, nobody's allowed to be in that area immediately outside. Okay? In the Hechal itself, there you have to be out, even when stuff is going on in the Kodesh HaKodeshim. But when it's when when in the Echal, when they're doing the the ketorah that's in the kodesh, you have to be out of the area bein olam v'la mizbeach. But if they're doing blood services and things like that, you don't have to be out of that area bein olam v'la mizbeach. That's what the Gemara is saying right now. But nothing to do with the Yom, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, even when he's doing the burning of the incense in the Kodesh Kodeshim, that area between the mizbeach and the and the Echal, you don't have to be out of that area. It's outside, so you don't have to be out of it. Okay, now. But is that the only difference between the Echal Ha'ika Ha'ma'ala? There's this. You're looking for something to make the Echal superior to the, to the area right outside the Kodesh. But it's obvious. Because you're not allowed to be inside the Echal whether the Avodah is going on in the Kodesh Kodeshim or in the Echal itself. You have to be out. Whereas the area immediately outside that, the area that's still outside before you enter the Kodesh, that area you only have to evacuate when you're doing a service in the Hechal. So that's less restricted. So why are you looking for something to make the Hechal superior? It already has a superiority that, that you have to evacuate it, whether the Avodah is going on in it or even in the Kodesh Kodeshim. Whereas from the Bena Ulam Velamizbeach area outside, you only have to evacuate it when something's going on in the Hechal. So it says, Hakatani, that's exactly what it's saying. Inside the Hechal, you have to be out, no matter what. Even if he's just applying the blood in the Kodesh Kodeshim, you're not allowed to be in there. The Torah says it, you're not allowed to be in there, right? But you only have to get out of the area that is between the Mizbeach and the Ulam during the time that they're burning incense in the Hechal. Not in the Kodesh Kodeshim. What about the other superiority of the Hechal? Because you have to be out of the Hechal whether the Kohen Gadol is doing the blood service in the Kodesh Kodeshim or he's doing it in the Kodesh. Both times you have to be out, right? Right? Bikidusha means here the blood service. Ve'ilo. But the only time you have to be out of the area between the Ulam and the Hechal is when the service is going on in the Hechal itself. In other words, when they're doing, like we said before, when they're doing the service in the Hechal itself, you have to be out of that area, which is Right. So he says, It's the same thing. In other words, all we're saying is, 
that if something's going on in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, you can't be in the Hechal. And if something's going on in the Hechal, you can't be in the Hechal. And if something's going on in the Hechal, you also can't be in the area immediately outside the Hechal. In other words, it's always, it always includes itself and one state and one, and the adjacent area. So whether it is Ketoret or it is application of blood, it doesn't matter. When you're doing something in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the immediate the area immediately outside you're also not allowed to have anybody in there and when you're doing something in the chal whether it is the splashing of the blood on the parochet or it is the burning of the ketoret then not only can nobody else be in there besides the coin gadol but also nobody can be in the area immediately outside either it's the same concept so amar more the master said so how do you how do we know this idea that just like during the time that the Kohen Gadol is, bring, is in the Kodesh Kodeshim, and just like when you're offering the Ketoret on a regular basis, nobody's allowed to be in the Hechal, how do we know there's also a rule of separating or evacuating from these areas at the time that uh, the Kohen Gadol applies the blood to the Parochet for these other reasons, for the communal Korban, for the Korban where he makes a mistake? Well, how do we know that? So it says, The word Kapara appears... In both cases, in other words, we make an analogy, we make a connection between the kapara that is afforded, the communal kapara that is afforded by those korbanot, and the kapara that's afforded by Yom Kippur, and that they're basically in the same category. And in fact, I remember when we learned Masechet Torayot, we learned that there's a lot of analogies between the two. They learned a lot of halachot from the offerings of Yom Kippur, the power of Yom Kippur and the Seir of Yom Kippur, to, the, uh, to these uh, offerings of the communal uh, kapara. A lot of them are learned back and forth. There was a whole long discussion of exactly which halachot we do learn or we don't learn from one to the other um, because they're really related. And you could see why, because both of them have to do with communal, uh, 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 communal sin and communal atonement. So one obviously occurs one day a year. One occurs under a special circumstance. But basically you could see that they're both related. They both have to do with the, a rupture in the relationship between the Jewish people and Hashem being corrected. So, <clears throat> and in Masechet Horayot, there's a whole long discussion of that. But basically, the analogy is clear. And, and even the service, the style of the service, the fact that you throw the blood on the parochet, which is never otherwise done, it shows you that uh, there's a, an analogy there to be made. And that's why the halacha is the same. Now, Amar Rav Acha, and according to our uh, correction, it says Rav Adda. Okay, Barava, which we recognize him. Ravada Barava, Shimamina Malod Deoraita. We learn from here that, uh, that these Ma'alot, the different levels of Kiddushah that exist, and it says in the first parak of Masachet uh, Kelim, right? This is a famous uh, Mishnah, many people they read it, right? The, the different levels of Kiddushah. Harhabayit is holier than Jerusalem. And then there's the Chel is more than Harhabayit. And Ezrat Nashim is more than Chel. And Ezrat Yisrael is more than Ezrat Nashim. Shel Kohanim is higher than the Yisrael. Ben Aulam is higher than the, uh, is higher than the courtyard. And the Hechal is higher than the uh, area between the Ulam and the Mizbeach, right? All of these different levels of, meaning that there's greater restriction. In each one, the Kiddushah means that there's greater restriction and access to each one. So this must be a Deoraita concept. How do we know that? Because the Isar Kedadach Rabbanan, because if you're going to say that the whole thing, differentiating between the courtyard, let's say, as a whole, and the area between the Mizbeach and the Hechal, if that's only a rabbinic restriction, so Maishna Ben Aulam Ben Mizbeach, Dilma Mekuvailu. So you're going to tell me that this, this concept is only because, really, it's just part of the courtyard. Really, it doesn't have any special status, that area between the Mizbeach and the Hechal. It doesn't have any status, it's just part of the courtyard. It just happens to be on the other side of the Mizbeach, 
right? So, so, but they made an Isur de Rabbanan that maybe if somebody's in that area, they might accidentally go into the Hechal during the time. And really the problem is going into the Hechal during the time that the service is going on. If that's true, so then it's, so we could say, Maybe you'll have the same problem in the entire courtyard. We should tell everyone to clear out the entire um, a beta mikdash, because maybe someone's going to accidentally go in. In other words, if you say that there's really a genuine distinction here, so then you could say that uh, uh, that uh, you know that there's a there's a reason to make a distinction between the area that's at the front of the courtyard, so to speak, that's right outside the kodesh, and the rest of the uh, and the rest of the courtyard. Because you could say that if a person's standing in the area that's at the front, right outside the kodesh, so there there's a the, the, that area we're going to make a gzera that you can't stand there, but in the rest of the azar we're not going to make that gzera. However, if you say that the entire uh, the entire uh, courtyard that really um, the the whole courtyard is one level of kedusha according to the Torah, so really they should have made a blanket prohibition that nobody's allowed to be in any of those areas, right? If we know that there really is two, there really are two distinct areas, so they could say, well, the only we made a gzera there because that's where it's most likely to go, and we can't make a gzera le gzera and say don't go into the whole courtyard because if you go into the whole courtyard, it might come into this area which is very sensitive, and if you come to that area that's very sensitive, then you might go into the kodesh because that's called gzera le gzera. We don't make a double gzera like that. We don't make a million gzerot and one step leading to another like that. So, but if you say the whole courtyard is all one entity, okay, so then it would be, uh, you, you could see, then they should have really made a single gzera on the entire place. They could have made a single gzera on the entire place. So therefore, the fact that they didn't do that and they only made a gzera on the front of the courtyard, right outside the Kodesh, shows you that that's considered a distinct area, even according to the Torah. And therefore, they couldn't prohibit the rest of the courtyard because that would be gzera le gzera. It would be a whole other area that they were prohibiting. Okay, so Gemara says no, not necessarily. Kevan de la mafsik, right? Ben Olam and Mizbech came to la mafsik. Midi lo min kam milta azra. Kevan de ikam Mizbech chitzon mafsik min kam milta. It's not true. It could be that those distinctions are rabbinic. So what was your argument? Your argument was that if the whole courtyard is all one entity from the perspective of the Torah and the kedusha is the same. Right. So why didn't they make a gzera so that you have to have the entire the entire bet the mikdash empty? Right. It's not because they're really two distinct areas according to the Torah. And if you prohibited one, Midra Banan, and then you wanted to prohibit the other one, Midra Banan, it would be Gzera Gzera, because you're going to say, don't go into area A, so to speak, because then you might go to area B. And if you go to area B, then you might enter into the Kodesh. That's not, that's not the reason why they didn't prohibit the whole Azara. The reason why they didn't prohibit the whole Azara is because the, even though it is all one entity according to the Torah, it doesn't matter. The reason they didn't prohibit it is because you don't need to. Because anyone could see that there's a Mizbeach right there and everyone knows don't pass the line of the Mizbeach. It's very, it's self-evident. In other words, it's physically distinct. Not necessarily uh, spiritually distinct. It doesn't have to be that it has a different level of Kedusha. Okay, so you can't prove that it has a different level of Kedusha from the Torah. That doesn't mean that it doesn't. That just means that you can't prove it. Now, You know, I'm going to, now he goes sort of the opposite direction. He says, you know what? This just shows you that the Ulam and the, and the area between the Mizbeach and the Kodesh are really one area, according to Torah. Why? Now remember, Inside, so what you have is, you have a, for, a funny situation, because you have the area between the Mizbeach and the entrance to the building, let's call it the building, right? Between that, which is open space, you know, no roof, then you enter the building. When you immediately enter the building, you're in a place called the Ulam, but there's no actual, there's, you know, there's still just space there, it's an antechamber. There's nothing going on, there's no Menorah yet, there's no Shulchan, there's no Mizbeach, nothing. You have to go further in to get to 
the Hechal, which, or the Kodesh, right? You have to go further in. So the thing is, what is the status of that intermediate area? On one hand, it's part of the same building as the Kodesh, right? But it's an antechamber. It doesn't really have any mitzvah. So do we, is it really like the outside? It's like a roofed porch, Right, basically, it's like it's really as good as the outside, except that it happens to be part. They happen to integrate it with the building, or no? It really is part of the kodesh. It's an extension of the kodesh. How do we look at it? So he's saying we look at it as a roofed porch. It's really part of the courtyard outside. It's not really part of the kodesh. He says this al kedushot. You know, because if you're going to say that it's really two kedushot, then ulam gufeg So that means that even that area, the the ulam, when you walk in the building, the first area, the first section when you walk in the building, even that is only Isur de Rabbanan to stand there during the service. Because that's not the Hechal, that's not the Kodesh yet. And we're going to say and then we're going to go and say that right outside is also you're not allowed to stand there because maybe you'll walk into the Ulam and then you can't walk into the Ulam, not because it's the Kodesh, it's not the Kodesh, but because you might then walk into the Kodesh from there. So you're making it two steps. So it must be, it's not two steps, it's only one Gzerah. That the ulam, that antechamber section, even though it has a roof over it, it's, it's illusory. It's not really, it's really just the porch. And outside, that's all one entity. And that's why they made it on the whole area, the ulam and the area outside. Now it says, lo, ulam, uvein ulam, 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 chadak, kidushahi. No, it's, so it says, the, so it says, hechal ulam shtei kidushot. Right, so the question was, oh, the other way around, in other words. Yeah, it's, it, I, was, I was reading it the opposite way. But the point is the same, right? Initially, it thought they could do, that the hechal and the ulam are one thing. And that's why they made a gzerah. I read it just backwards. But basically, in kedushah, the hechal and the ulam are one thing was the original supposition. Meaning that the kodesh and the ulam, since they're all under the same roof, are all one entity. So therefore, that's why they made a They said, don't stand in the area between the Mizbech and the Ulam, because if you walk into the Ulam, basically you're walking into the Kodesh, and that means you're in the Kodesh at the time that they're doing the service in the Kodesh that you're not supposed to be. So don't even go to the area immediately outside. It's a buffer area, right? So that's, that's one possibility. Then the Gemara says, no, 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 it's the other way around. The Ulam inside and the area immediately outside are all one area. So they're all one buffer zone. Really, even if you walked into the building, that first section, the ulam section, is really not part of the Kodesh either. But it's considered an extension of the area immediately outside. So it's not considered a double gzera because the ulam and the area immediately outside is all one section, and they're all one entity, and therefore making that buffer zone is one step. It's not considered to gzerot. Not because the ulam is part of the Kodesh, but because the ulam is part of what's outside. Now we said, Every day he would use a shovel of, of, made of silver, and then the pan of silver, and then he would transfer it to the gold. But on the day of Yom Kippur, he only used one. Normally the Torah says, don't use any implements of gold that you don't need to. So since they didn't need to make the shovel out of gold, they made it out of silver to show that we that anything which is extra, we don't need to extend our budget to waste money to make it gold if it could be silver. Okay, ma- now the Gemara says... From cheaper material also. I guess that, yeah, they want it still to be nice. Kavod. Yeah, kavod. So, so you're balancing kavod with budget. That's what every person should do. Vayom chote b'shel 
Azav Kachaya Machnis, Ovaya Machnis, rather he would, uh, on the day of Yom Kippur, he would take it in the gold pen and go in with the gold pen. That's again because of the coin Gadol, we don't want him to have to pull, do too much work. He's already been up all night, barely eating, doing all the work. So we don't want him to have to transfer all the coal from this one, this one. Just take it into one pan and take the pan with you into the Kodesh Kodeshim. Now, the Mishnah said that uh, every other day he has three Kav. There were two opinions. One said three Kav, one said, one said uh, four. Kav and he loses one. one. Right, that, that would be the, that he takes x plus one. He ends up with just x. And the one says no, it's x plus three that he actually takes six kav and drops three and keeps three. Right, that was the uh, that was the, th- those were the two opinions in the Mishnah um, that we saw before when it talked about the Ketorot on a regular day. Right, because Rabbi Yossi said that yeah, we shall say, ah, which is six six kav. Um, but everyone agreed there that in the end, you go with only three kabit. You lose some that falls on the ground. But on Yom Kippur, he didn't do that. He just took exactly what he needed. No extra. It says when that kav, that, um, the, when he would drop the one kav, he would take the four kav on a regular day. When he was doing tort, he would take four kav of coals. One kav would fall and they would push it into the drainage pipe, the amatamayim that would take everything out of the Beit HaMikdash. They would, they would put it in there. Tanechada kav. One brighter says there was a kav that would fall in. Vitanya idach kabayim. One said it was two kabim. Now that doesn't fit with either opinion because in the Mishnah we had two opinions. We had an opinion that said one kav extra he would normally take and drop it. The other one said three kav extra he would normally take and drop it. But nobody said two. So bishlamahach detane kav rabbanat. So we understand the first opinion it's the rabbis. But elahach detane kabayim mani. But the one that said two, who is that following? Lo rabbanam velo rabbiyosi. That's not the rabbis who said that he drops one, and it's not Rabbi Yossi who says he drops three. So, That is Rabbi Ishmael, the son of Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah. Very interesting that he would take four kav of coals, but he didn't walk in with three. We're talking about on a regular day. He didn't walk in with three, only two. So he actually had to drop two of what he brought. So that, according to that, so there's really three opinions. There's the opinion that he would take six and drop three and walk in with three kav of coals. There's the opinion that he would take four, drop one on the ground and walk with three kav of coals. And then there's one that he would take four and drop two. Okay? So, you don't even have to go that far. It could have been Rabbi Yossi. Even though Rabbi Yossi said that you take six and you drop three. But, because the thing is that they changed the measurement. And in the, in the eventual measurement, six kav became, uh, what, what used to be six kav became five kav. In other words, they made it larger. So in the end, he said that you would drop. So Rashi explains, he says, Sheshet kavin midbariot. You would take six of the original kabin into the pan, right? But since then, they changed the measurement. So when he would drop, it says that he would... Uh, but then he would pour it into three kav of the new measurement. In other words, the, the, the container that he would take into the Kodesh... We're not talking about on Yom Kippur. We're saying a regular Ketorot. Uh, so what we take into the Kodesh would be only three kav of the new measurement, not of the old measurement, the adjusted measurement. So then what's going to be left over? Two kav. Because the original same quantity that used to be divided as six, you put it, you put uh, into a new container that has three of the new measurement, leaves two of the new measurement because six became five. So, um, so therefore what he ends up dropping is three is two of the new version of kav which is going to be more 
than what, you know, uh, it, it will be not exactly uh, three, because normally before, if, if, you, if you have three and you drop it, it's not exactly, because now he's taking, actually, when he puts three of the new Kav, he's actually taking more than three of the old Kav, because the, the, the old Kav was smaller than the new Kav. Why would they check the measurement? It's confusing, leading to... I, I don't know, from, I guess for market reasons, you know, that probably something related to the market, but I'm not sure exactly why they did it. But they, we know that a couple of times they changed the, uh, they changed the uh, measurements, they adjusted the measurements. We know that, yeah. Yeah. So either way, that would turn out that then two uh, kav of the new kav is what falls to the floor when you do that. Okay. So now, every other day he had a heavy pan, and then Yom Kippur he had a light pan. The, the thickness of the pan was usually, it was very thick, but on that day it was thin. And every other day it was a short um, a short uh, handle, and on that day it was a long handle. So that he could use his arm. In other words, he had to use his arm, he had to tuck under his arm to, uh, to be able to handle the, uh, the pan of the ketorah. So he needed a longer handle because he has to coordinate taking the, uh, you know, the ketorah in his hands and, and holding the pan. So he needed a longer handle for that reason. Um, so Niashtik, Rashi says, Tabat Beroshash Mikashkesh Mashmiya Kol Mashum Vinishmakolobivo that the uh they they had a little uh, ring on there or something that would bang against the outside of the pan that would make a noise when the Kohen Gadol went in to the Kodesh, which is interesting. Right, it said, no, right, no quiet. right, no quiet, no shtika, right, that's what it sounds like. So the uh that's what the Tosfot says that's what it says, that um that uh that the Rashi says uh Tabat Lashmiya Kol. Right, that's the way that Rashi interprets it. Says in the Yerushalmi, it says no, it was a special kind of a, a thing to prevent prevent them from getting burnt because he had, I guess, because he had to hold it so close yeah. to himself. Right, so uh, it was something to prevent them from getting burnt. But it's interesting that Rashi says it was in order to fulfill the pasuk v'nishma kodesh because normally the kohen gadol wears the coat that has the bells on the bottom, right? So that's what, and he's not wearing it on Yom Kippur when he goes in. So may, so Rashi is saying that in order to fulfill that, they put like a little thing on the pan that would make a sound because normally the idea is that uh, that the the meil the coat of the kohen gadol having bells on the bottom is supposed to symbolize. You know, it says that everyone can hear him when he goes in, meaning he can't go in as a private individual. I think that's the meaning. Like, everything about the Kohen Gadol's clothing reminds you that he belongs to the community. He has the names of the Shvatim all over him, on the, pla- on the breastplate, on the shoulders, all over. Right? He has it. So, so the idea that he can't go in quietly, he has bells on the bottom, is that indicates that, you know, he, you can't, he can't sneak into the Kodesh, meaning everyone will know where he's going because he's a public figure. He belongs to the community. So on that day, since he's not going to be wearing the Me'il, he has this on the pan, Rashi's saying, so that he, uh, so he'll be heard when he goes in. It's not not something that he's doing on his own. Like, you know what? I feel like I'll go into the Kodesh Kodesh, like Nadav and Avihu or something like that. He's going on behalf of the community and therefore it makes a sound. That's the way that Rashi interprets it. Very interesting. So, Bezalashem, we continue here tomorrow.